Hello, my friends. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago. And what else do I want to tell you? Uh, that's it. That's good. <laughs> if you're here for the first time, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. So today's guest is amazing and exciting, and this is a topic that I believe you're all very interested in, but I'm not going to tell you who it is just yet. But actually, if you're listening, you've probably already read it. So anyway, <laughs> first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what's been going on in my brain. So basically, hmm, is it the past like year, six months, six to nine months, something like that? The theme of power has really come up in my life in a pretty profound way really leaning into my own power, learning to trust my own power, contemplating my relationship with power, you know, listening to a bunch of podcasts and reading things that talk about power and people misusing power a lot of times. And there have been some shows and podcasts that I've been listening to lately that reinforce this, but kind of take the themes even further. So I watched The Reagans on Showtime. So it is about Nancy and Ronald Reagan. I couldn't think of his name for a second. So fuck that guy. So I was watching that and it made so much sense to me as I was watching it. Ronald Reagan seemed to have almost this like fantasy type like quality about him that he was always kind of hoping that America was better than it actually was. And my mom was a huge Reagan fan. And it just made me think, oh, like they really shared that, that desire for an idealized way of life. And there's so many things in that show that drew direct lines to where we are now, specifically from an economic standpoint. So I highly recommend checking out the Reagans on Showtime. Also, Requiem for the American Dream, 10 Principles of the Concentration of Wealth and Power, Holy shit. So this was an interview of Noam Chomsky, who was a professor and a, a philosopher, and I want to memorize it. I saw it with my husband, and I was just like, everything about where we are right now, the systems that need to be shifted and changed, everything is in this Requiem for the American Dream. And it was on Amazon Prime, I think, and it was free. And I I actually downloaded the audio and transcripted it because I want to be able to go back and refer. It was just so amazing. And then lastly, I've talked about Seen on Radio before. They have a bunch of different seasons with different topics. And their latest season, season five, is called The Repair, which is all about climate change. So a former guest of mine, Robin Henderson Espinoza, mentioned in that interview that Americans have a really poor historical memory, which leads us to complacency. And then we get surprised when fucked up things happen in the world. Like a lot of us are like, wait, where did this pandemic come from? But if we know history, we might have been able to predict this sort of stuff. So these are some of the things that I'm watching and listening to, trying to educate myself about what happened before so that I do know how we got where we are and hopefully can try to do my part to not let fucked up shit keep happening. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm kind of resigned to the fact that resigned isn't the right word because that feels hopeless. I actually feel... This is kind of weird, but I feel an empowered sense of acceptance around the fact that humans continue to fuck up over and over again, but we somehow are resilient enough that we keep bouncing back. So even though the world is crumbling <laughs> and it potentially might still crumble for who knows how long, that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. 
question mark. I mean, I'm certainly not going to predict anybody's individual experiences, but collectively, I guess I'm just I'm just trusting that. You don't have to believe me. That's just kind of what I'm feeling when I feel into the collective. So I don't know for what that's worth. I hope that is something that is supportive for you. So on to today's guest. Heidi Savell. Heidi is a polyamory relationship coach and therapist. She believes that polyamory can be an empowering and satisfying relationship model and is passionate about helping folks find ways to thrive in these relationships. So talk about power and needing to have a right relationship with power. I don't know if there's a topic other than polyamory that's more important in the realm of being in right relationship with power. So please enjoy this awesome conversation with Heidi Savell. Hello, Heidi. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm very glad to have you. So we met through Annie Schusler, who has become one of my favorite people. And you're in a different cohort of a mastermind group, but uh, that's how we met. Yeah. Huge shout out to Annie. She's the best. She and I seem to have very similar like connector vibes that we like know everybody. And I feel like if she and I put our magic Rolodexes together, we would literally know every person on earth. You would probably take over the world. I think we probably would. Annie, give me a call. Let me know when you want to do that. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So now let's just talk about you. So tell the folks who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name again is Heidi. I use she, her pronouns. And my background has largely been in therapy. So I've been working as a therapist for over 10 years, but I do coaching. And that's what's really lighting me up and getting me super excited these days. And in my coaching world, I help folks who are earlier on in their journey of polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. And what I do with them is help them move through anxiety and fear and distress and really help them get to more of a place of feeling confidence and fulfillment. And I want to hear all of that stuff. But first, let's hear what made you become a therapist? What was your path to therapy like? Yeah, absolutely. So I, as a young adult, had lots of struggles and I had lots of my own therapists over the years, both in high school, in college, and it was really helpful. I felt really connected to most. I know some people have stories of like being young and not really Mm -hmm. liking therapy. I always loved therapy. I loved it for lots of reasons. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, I get to talk about me for the whole hour. This is amazing. And like, it's such a validating space and it's safe. I can, I can say whatever I want the best. So that always stayed in my head as like, Ooh, this is like, this is a thing that is so magical. And I've Mm -hmm. always gone to my own therapy and really leaned into that as part of my own healing. And so I think because of that, I just naturally like gravitated toward it. When I was thinking about what to do, I knew I wanted to be in a, a helping profession. I felt most drawn to it. And I was just so excited about the idea of being able to provide that space that I was given to other folks too. Yeah, same. Yeah, absolutely. And what about your path to polyamory? Yeah. So that, this is so fun because I just wrote about this last week. So it's fresh in my mind. So I had always kind of been not totally sure about monogamy. Like it just didn't feel like I've always been really about 
connection and engagement and relationships Mm -hmm. and like emotional intimacy. And I just always felt a little like on the fence about monogamy being like a really important thing that needed to happen in order to have all those other things. I'm not someone who like from like the time I even had started having crushes knew I was polyamorous or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I always just had these like questions about monogamy. And then I found myself in a relationship where we both were kind of like, there's needs that aren't getting met. And neither of us really feel super strongly about monogamy. Like, why don't we see what else is out there? Mm -hmm. And we started doing like swinging type stuff and going to sex clubs. And like, I think for a lot of people, that is a really amazing opportunity. That was not the thing for me. I just didn't like having sex with strangers. It didn't give me any of what I was wanting around um, intimacy and connection and that deeper emotional safety that I get from relationships. And I'm going to just interrupt you to ask, is it your experience that the swinger community is more male driven? Because my experience of that is that the swinger was more like patriarchal focused and the polyamorous is more female focused and consent and all that. And I I don't want any swingers to listen to this and think that I think you're an asshole. This was just my bad experience in that community that was rough. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think that what I noticed about it is that the swinger world happens within the paradigm of the patriarchy. It seems there's not like, it's not really disrupting it. Yes. That is such a good way to put it. Yeah. And whereas I feel like the world of ethical non-monogamy and specifically polyamory is really disruptive. It's about disrupting Mm. the paradigm of the patriarchy as well as just the paradigm of compulsory monogamy too. Right. Yeah. Which really excites me. It like excites my intellectual brain too, as much Mm -hmm. as like Mm -hmm. my emotional heart. Well, it feels to me like more because it's centered on intimacy that fosters community, which is a more like matriarchal sort of feminine idea. Yes, totally. I I agree. Like it really is more about that like connectivity and emotional awareness and communication Mm -hmm. and boundaries and all those really yummy things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I interrupted your story. So please go back. So you went to the swinger clubs. You were like, this is not my jam. Then what happened? Yeah. So I started reading everything I could get my hands on. I was reading, I think the first book I read was Ethical Slut. Yay, mine too. (laughs) Yeah, which was such a great introduction. Mm -hmm. I feel like at this point, like the folks who wrote that are like these elders in the community and have so much wisdom and experience to share. And so it was such a lovely place to come in to the world with that introduction. And then I started finding support groups in the community. And where are you? I'm in Portland, Oregon. There was some good resources here around, like there were some open relationship discussion groups that I went to. And then at some point I felt like I wanted a little more than I was getting from those. And I Mm -hmm. tried starting my own discussion group, which was really cool, but I ended up facilitating it instead of getting to be a participant in it. Exactly. And so that felt like a little, like it was great and exciting, but not quite what I was needing. Yeah. And like the books were also great, but also not quite, I always felt like I had like, yeah, but I have this and this going on and I'm, I'm like reading all the books and scanning through the indexes and looking for like the thing that I was looking for. And I could never, sometimes Mm. I just couldn't quite find the thing. Mm. So I was really hungry for more guidance and mentoring 
mm. and support. Mm-hmm. And like, eventually I did find my footing, but gosh, I feel, look back and I think that was so much more painful and messy than it had to be. And like, I hurt so many of my own feelings and so many of other people's right. feelings and it didn't have to be quite that painful and messy. Yes. I I can really relate to that as well. Like the first thing that I did when we were like polyamorous is I was like, okay, I'll go on OkCupid and I'll like meet people. And I didn't realize that if the other person wasn't polyamorous, they didn't think that this meant anything to me. And I kept getting in situations where they'd be like, okay, that was a fun fuck. Thanks. Bye. And I'd be like, but I have feelings. Like I'm here for the relationship, not just for sex. And they just like did not get that. And like you said, I hurt my own feelings over and over again. Right. Yeah, I know. Gosh, I just, I had a similar experiences to that too. And mm. I think back to like all the lessons I had to learn the hard way. And mm-hmm. like, I, I wish I could go back and like be my own mentor, you know, and offer myself like just some guidance and some validation and holding space for the feelings and allowing mm-hmm. and encouraging me to like assert my own needs and think through what I was really wanting and Mm-hmm. how to like make clear requests, all of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would argue that you probably are doing that right now. I don't know what you believe spiritually, but I kind of think whatever energy we're putting into the world now does heal our past self as well. Yeah, right. I think you're so right. And I think that's part of why I feel so drawn now to being able to coach mm-hmm. others in this way. Yeah. Well, why... Because, I mean, of course, we talk to coaches and therapists here, so we're trying not to be preferential, but why be a coach instead of a therapist in this sort of vein? Yeah. So there were several reasons that really pushed me toward coaching. One was that I wanted to be able to reach more people. And because of like licensing restrictions, you know, I could only see people in my state and people were reaching out to me who really were wanting and needing help. And I was, my hands were tied and being able to help them. The other piece is I think that, you know, with coaching, there's a different vibe to it. There's more self-disclosure. It's more like a little bit more action oriented and more like I can dig Mm -hmm. into like the strategies around building relationships and what to do and things with polyamory and the feelings Mm -hmm. that come up. And it just, it feels more hands-on and sticky and like getting into the work of it with people in a different way Mm -hmm. than you do in therapy. And I have so much respect Mm -hmm. for therapy and and I have clients who are dealing with other things that I feel like therapy is a great fit for. But in terms of this particular work, coaching just felt like a better format for me to be able to really help folks in the way I was seeing them wanting help. The other piece that really pulled me toward the coaching world is one of the things I offer is groups. So offering groups in a coaching context where I can offer them to people all over, not just in my state, I think is so powerful because something that people are missing when they're entering this world is community. And it's such an important piece. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, I'm just thinking of, I'm probably going to send this to somebody before I even publish it because (laughs) I I want them to be able to hear that this is an option because, oh my God, yeah, we had gone to a group, but it was like, I don't know, it was so weird. There was definitely weird energy from the guy who was running the group and it... (laughs) This is a, an actual safe space to explore and to, you know, meet other people who are in the same stage as you and ask questions. Like, it's just so cool. And it's so needed, especially when, I mean, I don't know if it's just because I am polyamorous, but I, I feel like it's becoming more 
mainstream. I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but it's becoming more acceptable. It is. And I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about why. And I don't know if this is true or not. I don't have any evidence to back this up. This is just my opinion. But Mm -hmm. I was wondering aloud with this person if in some ways the pandemic is also shifting some of that. Because I think being kind of like quarantined with folks for so long, I think really drives home the message of like, oh, how unfair and unrealistic it is to expect everything from one other person and for them to expect that from me. Like, wow, that's a lot of pressure and so unrealistic and it's not fair to the relationship or to the individuals. And so I I wonder if more people are kind of coming to that after, you know, this year plus Mm -hmm. of being kind of locked down. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I also think we are waking up the divine feminine. And so I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Like you said, the dismantling of systems and and shifting things in a way that's more community-based and I hope more healthy. Like, And I also, I have no illusion that all polyamorous people are healthy because I've heard some really nasty stories <laughs> about people who almost use polyamory as a weapon yeah. or an excuse. Like, well, I'm polyamorous, so like I can't commit. I'm like, that's not fucking polyamory. That's you being a <laughs> that's dick. That's not what that word means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and I guess that's probably the one downside to more people saying that they're polyamorous is... I mean, a thing that I've come to in this podcast is that English does not mean the same thing to everyone. Like words are very specific and we have to really dig into what it means because from what I know about polyamory is that everyone does it different yep. and everyone defines these things differently. Everybody wants something different. Relationship constellations literally are infinite when you're talking about polyamory. So it can be really hard to find out what it is that you want if you're not defining the words that you're using. Right. Yeah. I think that's so true. And it also just speaks to like, once you dismantle the structure of like monogamy, it's not like there is a different blueprint that you get to replace it with. It's like create your own, which is amazing. And it also means that you can't take anything as given like you do when you enter a monogamous relationship. Everything is kind of up for discussion, up for negotiation. Yeah. It's never a good idea to make assumptions, even when using shared words like, oh, I'm solo poly. Like, what does that word mean to you? Because I've heard solo poly defined in a lot of different ways by a lot Mm -hmm. of different folks, you know, and I think there's lots of things that's true for when it comes to the polyamory world. Yeah. I'm interrupting this awesome conversation to share about an upcoming opportunity for mental health professionals. You asked for a group for mental health professionals, so I'm giving you just that. In our lifetime, it's never been more challenging to be a mental health professional. Our jobs, our clients, our communities place various demands on our energy and our spirit. But in order to offer our best, I believe we must take care of ourselves and do our inner work as well. As wounded healers, we're called to attend to our own recovery and transformation in order to support the healing of others. Wounded Healers Virtual Group is an eight-week group for mental health professionals led by me. In this group, we will create a sacred container to support one another's healing, integrating spirituality, principles of the neuroaffective relational model, shame resilience, and liberation psychology. We'll use the chakra system as a frame for our weekly meetings. And we'll be meeting Monday nights starting March 7th, 2022 on Zoom. And we currently have a discount for current contributing Patreon members. For more info and to register, please visit www.tinyurl.com slash woundedhealersvg 
Now back to our conversation. I'm curious to kind of shift towards the healer talk. How is it that you heal to a point where you felt like you could support others through this journey? Because, you know, we really just kind of talked about you in the struggle phase, but but what happened after that? Yeah. So I would say that, I mean, I had, I did find some mentors and I found some amazing mm. therapy. I also left the relationship that I was in at the time. I always really like to clarify polyamory is not what broke us up. I think polyamory like gave us more time and gave us more room to explore and reach an understanding about what wasn't working. But ultimately that relationship was not very authentic for me and not what made sense. And so I think leaving that relationship and really digging into my own therapy and doing specifically work around attachment, I think was transformational for me. Mm -hmm. I have a long-term partner who I've been with for almost seven years, and we have walked down kind of an attachment journey together and individually doing our own work. And it has been so transformational to understand and learn about attachment, attachment injuries, and then being able to heal those injuries. Yeah. Well, and that brings up a question for me because I healed my attachment wounds through my relationship with my husband, who is my primary, and being able to explore other relationships. And it was funny because basically he was the anomaly and like our relationship is really great and really solid. But then I would have that same relationship, that fucked up relationship over and over again with people outside of our marriage. Had I not been able to do that in relationship I don't know that I would have healed it on my own. And I know like Jessica Fern's book talks about the fact that you can do this work on your own, but I don't know how to wrap my brain around how one would heal their attachment on their own. So I don't know if you have thoughts about all that. I mean, I healed mine in relationship and it was Mm -hmm. through, you know, like touching the hot wound over and over again and like figuring out like, oh, this still really hurts and I'm still doing the same thing. And I Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to keep doing the same thing. I need to learn something different. And so it was in relationship that I did that healing. And for me, I think I had chosen relationships in the past that felt really safe to me that were not very threatening and didn't really tap into like my deeper wants and needs and desires and ended up even marrying someone who was in that safe category. And then the person that I met once I started my polyamory journey was not safe in so far as like, I don't mean that in like an emotional safe way, but right, right. Not like harmful, unsafe. Not harmful, unsafe, but like bringing up- Challenging. Yeah, bringing up a lot of- deep feelings of vulnerability and fear and kicked in all of my anxiety because Mm -hmm. this was someone that I really fell deeply for and really wanted. And Mm. so it brought up like my childhood attachment wounds in ways that I had never experienced. And I was so excited about this relationship and I so wanted it and the other person so wanted it. And, and we were just kind of like both hitting against these attachment things and we're baffled. Mm -hmm. Like, what is this? And why are we making such a mess of things when we really love each other so much? 
Yeah. I'm so glad to hear you say that because working with several people who are starting this journey as well, and that's exactly what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people bump up against the attachment stuff. And I always just have a big question mark because a lot of times people will be like, well, should I stay with this person or not? Should I be polyamorous or not? I'm like, that's not really the question. Like, We're just gathering information. And I just always trust that my clients will know the answer when the time is right. But it's really an information gathering process. And it, and then at some point you're like, okay, I can tolerate this and go forward or I can't. Yeah. And I do think also through doing the work of attachment healing, I think it becomes more clear too. like, what are the relationships that are healing and yeah. helpful and which are the ones that are more harmful. And I've found that as I've gotten clearer with my own healing around attachment, that that becomes more clear to me. And a lot of the things that made it fuzzy in the past are quieted. They're not as loud anymore. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because I've been going through, uh, you know, healing from some sexual trauma, sexual abuse in my childhood and then sexual trauma in adulthood. And I find like I am not interested in anybody unless they're like pushing all of the positive buttons right now. I need someone who's spiritually woke, who's got like their emotional stuff met. And and if you don't check those boxes, I'm just I'm not willing anymore. Yeah, I know. I feel like I've come to a similar place where I'm like, I really know what I'm needing. And yeah. I no longer get caught up in the, oh, but I want to, this other person's really into me. And so I should, you know, stay in it because maybe I'll round them up right. eventually or, oh, but it feels so good to be wanted by this new person. Like mm-hmm. I used to get hooked into that stuff and I don't as much anymore. And, and that feels so different. And it feels like I'm in a place mm-hmm. where it's like, it's not even, I mean, it is personal, but in some ways it's like, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I just have these clear needs and like, right. the line. And like, I wish you all the best, but not a match. Well, at the end of the day, it's hard to find good matches, right. you know? And I feel like the deeper healing that we experience, the more difficult it is to find people who are at that level. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point because I feel like when people first open up to polyamory, there's often this feeling of, well, to do this right, I have to be dating lots of people and I have to Ugh, like, right. date multiple people. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not the most important part of this journey. And that's not Mm-mm. the thing that's actually going to like, you know, deepen your polyamory practice. That's not right. actually what it's really about. Like that's fun and that's great. And sure, some of the work happens there, but so much more is like, interrupting the monogamy mindset and working through Mm -hmm. some of the jealousy and insecurities and the attachment Mm -hmm. stuff that comes up, whether it's avoidant or anxious. And and those pieces are so much more important than checking the box of maintaining multiple love relationships. Exactly. And I think love and intimacy, I think, are the common denominators. And love can mean so many different things. And intimacy can mean so many different things. But that's what's important is, can you be authentic and honest about your love and about your intimacy? And I've thought about, I'm polyamorous in friendships. I'm like, I'm just a person who loves freely, easily, and fiercely. And that's how I show up in all relationships. And that's always what I've wanted from other people is that reciprocity. And because of our attachment stuff, like not everybody is interested and or capable of that, you know? Yeah. 
Totally. I, I am similar in that I look for really deep, really authentic relationships. And, and I think I used to be really wounded or mm-hmm. hurt when people couldn't yeah. show up in that way with me. Right. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, that's just not your jam. Okay. I'm sorry. I would have loved to have loved you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Yeah. Well, how do you feel in terms of the word healer applied to your work? Yeah. I mean, I love that word. I kind of used that earlier talking about being drawn to this kind of work, especially, I mean, I think it fits so perfectly as we're talking about attachment injuries and attachment Mm -hmm. wounds and just so much of the things that come up when we leave the false safety of monogamy. I love that false safety. Yeah. That's the title of the episode, False Safety of Monogamy. Yes, totally. <laughs> Invite me on to that one. I'll be one of your guests. It's so good. No, that's the, that'll be the title of this episode. Oh, this episode. I'm already invited. Yeah. Oh, great. You're, you're here. I'm here. <laughs> you're doing it. That's <laughs> perfect. Oh my gosh. Because of that, I think there's so much that comes up and it's people's feelings are so tender and there's so much fear Mm-hmm. so much fear that we have to confront when we leave that false safety of monogamy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of the healing that I mm-hmm. facilitate and that people do mm-hmm. is through working through the fears and working through the uncertainty. And when you leave that idea of safety, that false sense of safety that this monogamy mindset gives you, you're kind of like thrashing around in the waves and it's wild and it, mm-hmm. it brings up like so much that mm. I think can be healed. Well, now I'm having a brilliant idea because ethical non-monogamy probably has a roadmap to stepping out of capitalism, to stepping out of patriarchy. And the tools of being ethically non-monogamous are, because what like when you say that, I'm just hearing there's so much scarcity involved in capitalism. There's so much scarcity and power hoarding involved in the patriarchy and in anti-racism. So if we talk about disseminating power more equally, having an abundance of, of love, an abundance of resources, mm, this could be a thing. You know where I'm going? You feeling this? Where are you going? I mean, to change the world. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Take me along. I'm on that ride. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And I think there's such a natural fit there because it is part of disrupting the ideas of the patriarchy mm-hmm. and the ideas of capitalism. And I think that monogamy fits so well. I mean, I, I'm not meaning to criticize monogamy. I think monogamy right. is fine. It's perfect for many people. Yeah, it's fine for many people. But the mindset or the compulsory monogamy, so not monogamy yeah. itself, but the idea of compulsory monogamy fits yeah. really well within some of these patriarchal structures. And it's why I think that ethical non-monogamy, just like you're saying and making those connections right now, it's why it feels so like subversive and disruptive yeah. in ways that I love. Yeah. Mm, I'm excited about that. What just came up for me is I feel like at some point I heard something about monogamy and marriage being a construct in order for something around like the workforce being controlled or like, do you know the history of marriage and like why it even started? Because it wasn't about love. It was about 
property, wasn't right. it? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the history clearly more than, than I do? <laughs> I read about it. Oh, gosh. This is a test. I think it was like part of a, a contract. It was like how folks shared land or, you know, land. Yeah, that seems right. Passed from family to family through like marrying off women, I think. Right. So if you're listening and you know about this, just send us an email so that we can have you on to talk about really the history. Because, And you can tell me how much I butchered it just now. Right. But I I, I mean, we're on the right track, obviously. And yeah. And so, I mean, that's a construction. And then, okay, let's also bring religion into this too. Because then there's, I don't hate Christianity. I don't at all. I was raised that way. I'm not mad at it, but I am mad at people who use Christianity as a weapon. So when I say negative things about Christians, that's who I'm talking about is people who are shitty, not people who are actually Christ-like to get that out of the way. So obviously, if one is following what the church says, it's one man and one woman, which also leaves out queer people and anybody on the non-binary spectrum, like all of that too. And we know 100% for a fact that religion was a construction to control people. Now I just want to burn everything to the ground. (laughs) I Hmm, love it. Where are my matches? Yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, I'm saying things and not asking questions, but I just hope you have something to say back. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I have to say the same thing again, which is that you're speaking to what excites me so much about it is that it's disruptive, but in such a positive resource sharing, growth oriented Mm -hmm. way. And it's not just about that disruption either. It's about empowerment too. And and that's what I think people who just look at the tropes and don't really understand Mm -hmm. it. I get a lot of really interesting things from folks who are still looking at it through some of those lenses you're speaking to about like, oh, that's just something that like men coerce women into or men convince women to do to so that they can sleep around, which again, totally erases queer and trans experiences and like women's agency in this thing. And it's really funny because if you get into the community, that's not at all what it's like. And if when I go on discussion boards, it's usually like a lot of men and mask folks talking about like, I'm not getting as much attention as my (laughs) wife is. And it's so unfair. And why is she getting so much more attention than I am? And so it's like, it's not Mm -hmm. that trope that people think it is. It's about intention more than anything else, I think. And, you know, going back to what you talked about, how all of these structures were set up to control people, Mm -hmm. this is stepping outside of that control and saying, I'm going to think about what my values are, what makes the most sense for me outside of the constructs of religion or patriarchy or capitalism. What aligns most deeply with my values and how can I set my relationships up in ways that work for me? Well, and what I'm getting out of this conversation, because when I read The Ethical Slut for the first time, I was like, oh, this is what I am. I never knew it was a thing. I just thought I was a cheater my whole life. And I made the choice with, you know, my husband and I made the choice together. But really, it was this is what I am to be my authentic self. But as we talk about it today, I'm like, but this is also for the common good. And it's not just about me, right? And the more... I think the collective energy shift of not not that I want everyone to be polyamorous, but the it's like decolonizing your mind, like demonogamizing your mind. 
Totally. I love that. Because I think even for people who are really monogamous and want to stay monogamous and are committed to that, there is still something to learn from the practice of polyamory. Yes. The communication skills alone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The, The acceptance of jealousy. Yep. Anybody who asks me about polyamory, I'm like, the most important thing for you to know is that jealousy is normal and you need to be able to talk about it. If you can't talk about the jealousy, that is a red flag. Yeah. So accepting that jealousy is a thing to be managed, not a thing to be like shut down or like, yes. you know, controlling other people so that you don't feel mm-hmm. jealous. The mm-hmm. communication, the boundaries, and then just consent too. I think consent is a huge part of it, as well as just really like being intentional and thinking, you know, even if you're monogamous, like don't do something just because it's assumed or given. Think about like what actually right. makes sense for you, what works for you. Right. Like, do you want all of your default time? that you're not out with other people to be spent with your partner. Maybe you do, but right. maybe you don't. And like, is right. that a conversation you've ever had? Right. Ooh, I love this conversation. Yes. I'm loving it too. That gets a shimmy. Yeah. <laughs> we just keep talking for hours. We could just make an hours long podcast. I'm sure that. And just, and just keep shimmying. Keep that's shimmying. what I'm going to do this whole yes. time. I don't know why that's the motion right now, but that's what's happening. I'm, I'm digging it. <laughs> I only wish all the listeners could see the shimmy. Right. Well, sorry, guys. You have to pay extra. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's all I'll put on Patreon. I'll put like shimmy videos. Yeah. This is a new Patreon stream right here. (laughs) Oh, that's so dumb. I love it. Um, Okay. We don't have a lot of time left. What else do I need to ask you? How do you feel about the term wounded healer? I love it. I mean, at first I was like, whoa, wounded healer. Do I count? Am I a wounded healer? And I've been reflecting on it since Mm. you contacted me. And yeah, at first I was a little uncomfortable, to be honest. I was like, wait, no, am I, is that me? Am I wounded? Does this count? What makes you uncomfortable? Well, I think that's what made me uncomfortable was thinking, oh, am I that? Am I wounded enough? Oh, am I wounded enough? Yeah. Interesting. Am I going to be an imposter? And then, you know, I, so, but Mm. we've had this plan for a while. So I've had weeks to really reflect (laughs) (laughs) on the term. I've really leaned into it since then and really Mm -hmm. thought about, of course, I have my own wounding and like, it's my own wounding that has brought me to where I am and has, you know, is part of my story and part of who I am and part of the empathy and the connection and the understanding that I now bring to the work I do. And if it weren't for my woundedness, I wouldn't be able to show up in the way that I can for Mm -hmm. folks who are struggling. And if it weren't for the healing work you've done, you also wouldn't be able to show up in the same way. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That is that is the other piece of it, the other side of that coin. Right. Because if we're just acting from our wounds and you and I both know therapists who have done that and it's really gross and it really hurts people and is very dangerous. And I wish we could do something more about that. But all I'm doing is trying to invite people <laughs> to keep healing, right? Yeah. But yes, so the wounding and then the journey of healing, which is, I think, exactly what brought me to where I am. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate the term now because I think that the framework that you offer with that and that I have come to really look at it through is lovely and so helpful and so Mm. descriptive of the work that we're doing. Mm. So I do love it now. And at first I was like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Mm. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly the sound. That's it. Mm -hmm. But the more I've thought about it, I've really leaned into it. And I, I love it. I love the framework it offers. 
Welcome to the club. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Well, as we kind of close up, I'm curious who you're like, who are the clients that you're looking for right now? Who should be contacting you? So folks who are newer to polyamory or ethical non-monogamy and are feeling like excited about it, but also maybe hating it, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I, you know, folks were like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm loving this. And sometimes I hate it. And should I even be doing this? And wow, mm-hmm. this is really cool, but it's really hard and it's shaking mm-hmm. me up. Like those are the folks that I love working with, you know, and I have, my group is called Steady Your Polywobbles. And oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And it's all about finding it's a group where we work together to work through the wobbles and find mm-hmm. steadiness through different strategies, addressing things like jealousy, communication, boundaries, mm-hmm. tuning into mm-hmm. our bodies and what's happening in our nervous system. So mm-hmm. that's my group offering. And so that's really to help find steadiness. And then I also offer individual coaching to that same group, but it's more of like an individualized kind of package where Mm -hmm. it's working on whatever your individual struggle is to help find that steadiness and really get to a place of more groundedness and confidence. Awesome. And learning to like kind of accept the wobbles too, as part of the ride, Right. learning to like ride those waves when they come and just kind of yeah. knowing how to embrace them and what to do with them when they come up. Cause that's the thing I tell people. I'm like, I still get the wobbles. That still happens. Oh yeah. If you're a polyamorous person and you think you haven't had any struggles, then I'm going to guess you need an accountability check. <laughs> yeah. 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 No offense. <laughs> and I like to bring that to my work too, you know, mm-hmm. to say like, I yeah. still struggle with this and like, I'm mm-hmm. figuring it out too. And like, I don't get derailed by it, but the right. struggles come up. And I, you mm-hmm. know, I work through them as they do. I'm not some Zen person who's like, oh, I don't experience jealousy anymore. Nope. Well, where should people find you? Where yeah. are your places? So my website is sheLovesRadically.com. And that's a great place to sign up for my newsletter. I have a free jealousy, managing jealousy mini course on there. Oh, and cute. then on Instagram, I'm at SheLovesRadically. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to future connections and staying in in connection. I'm just going to keep saying connection because that's my favorite word. It's such a great word and I'm feeling it too. Let's stay connected. And this has been so much fun. I love where our conversation went. It went in directions I didn't even know it was going to go and I loved it. Me too. Thanks so much to Heidi for being our guest today. To learn more about Heidi, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.